Good morning, I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Today we're talking about health and food and healthy eating and uh, the pandemic weight gain that a lot of people had. We're going to talk to an expert, Jameson Worley. Now, tell them your titles so they know who's talking to them. So I have my master's degree in nutrition. Um, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist through the academy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also have a certification in sports nutrition as well. Okay. So um, all things nutrition. All things nutrition. You got us covered. Yes. Okay. So uh, let's start with the pandemic weight gain issues Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe even mental health issues. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, it seems like they're related to nutrition because Mm -hmm. we had foods at the house that we could walk four steps and get. What happened with you, a nutritionist? during all of that because you know what else happened to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like you brought it up that mental health was definitely the main, main thing that kind of came out of the the pandemic. Right. So just a little background on me. I have my own private practice down in Franklin, but I also work for an organization in Nashville called the collective and they're focused on anxiety and depression, like the mental health piece. Ah. So I do a lot of, you know, contract work out with them in the sense of just as people come through the program that they have the work on the anxiety and depression piece, food plays such a big role through the pandemic. We saw that, you know, we're, we're tribal animals. We love our tribe. So it's one of those things where when you take that away from us, high, you know, mental health issues. Right. And so that's where like the loneliness comes in, the anxiety, the depression. And so when you say like the weight gain piece, there's also like the weight loss piece that I've noticed a lot with patients as well. So just the disordered eating, eating disorders. I mean, there's been so much that's come out of this just Mm -hmm. from like the social health determinant of just the pandemic. It's, it's been a lot. Some people suffered from being isolated. Yes. Others were better and felt better mm-hmm. and more peaceful mm-hmm. at being isolated and not having to be with a lot of other people. Fair. So what we're, let's talk about some of the challenges uh, because you were talking about us being tribal animals and all this, um, the mental health suffered. Let's talk about those people and what happened with them first and, and how that did affect their health, their nutrition and their weight. Yeah. We, we love our community. So when you start to take that away and you start to experience emotions per se, right? Like emotions that even we don't want to feel like, and, and even emotions that we do want to feel, right? Like emotions are a very fleeting thing. So when we feel joy and we feel happiness, um, loneliness, sadness, I mean, you, you, you name it, it happens really quick and then it's gone. Now it doesn't mean that, you know, we can feel sad all day, right? Because it just keeps recurring. Oh, but it's something where food is such an easy way to mask those emotions. So you see people either, you know, that feel these certain emotions, like, let's just bring up Thanksgiving, for an example, you know, Mm -hmm. some people love it, because it's, you know, you're on family, you're on community. And so you have all these really happy endorphins, emotions. And so we tend to overeat or some people under, you know, there's just a totally different depending Mm -hmm. on, you know, the human that you are. But then you also have people that don't like, you know, Thanksgiving. They don't like the family. You know, maybe it brings back negative memories, oh. things like that. So maybe they take that out on food, you know, in a sense of not eating food or restricting, you know, like there's so many different underlying factors with that. So the pandemic in that case, you know, we experienced a lot of emotions, like people who are so used to the community and, you know, being around people all the time. Like we start to kind of it's easy to push those emotions away. But when you're, you know, stuck in isolation, some people really feel those emotions. And so they feel like they have to mask them, you know, and a it's- lot of time. Food. And we call it comfort food. Totally. Comfort. I comforted myself. Yes. With food. So how does it mask the emotions? Is it just shifting our focus? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a control piece. We're humans, right? We feel like we need control. Uh, so it's one of those things where if you're, you know, you're in the house and 
Um, we've been through the pandemic and we're feeling really strong emotions. We don't and say the emotions, loneliness or sadness. Right. Who likes to feel lonely or sad? No one. No, so we feel like we need to control that situation or numb out that situation of not feeling it. And so that's when we turn to anything that we can. Right. And it just happened to be with all of us being in our home. Food was a very easy access. to that. Right. And sometimes it's drugs or alcohol. Fair. Yes. But the access was not that easy. You couldn't order drugs or alcohol on Uber Eats. Fair. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) So maybe we overeat. Maybe we have too much food uh, with that easy access. And then, but the emotions are still there. The emotions are still there. Mm -hmm. So what do we do to deal with that? Well, we get, you know, we learn how to process this. What are you telling your clients? Because now they're coming back to in person. You said you, you, clients that you counsel virtually. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now that we're going back in person for a lot of things, your clients are back face to face with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So face mask to face mask. Yes. With you. Face mask to face mask. Um, yeah. So luckily I'm, I'm in a position to where the majority of the clients I work with and working with the collective in Nashville, like they're working in collab with a therapist or a treatment team already. So they're learning to process out those emotions. And I'm just that secondary or primary piece, depending on if it's an eating disorder or just disordered eating from like the, the emotional standpoint. Wait, wait, what did you just say? Eating disorder? What? Eating disorder or disordered eating. Disordered eating. Yeah. So eating disorder is the actual diagnosis. Yes. Disordered eating is something that, you know, just presents like going back to the pandemic, right? Just kind of being around. Like I wouldn't necessarily call someone that they have an eating disorder that they're just like mindlessly munching throughout the day. Whoa. Disordered eating. I think a lot of people are dealing with that. Yeah. And what you do day after day becomes a habit. Fair. So now they have habits of having that little afternoon snack Mm -hmm. or having a snack every few hours. Yeah. But it's disordered eating. Mm -hmm. What's, how do you know when it's become an eating disorder? So there's, there's certain criteria. So the DSM five, which is the um, diagnosis manual just for like any type of mental health illness, there's specific criteria for each eating disorder. So there's like anorexia, binge eating, um, ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive food intake. I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. eating disorders there. And the criteria are things like uh, for an addiction, for example, might be when it starts to interfere with your daily life. Yes. Things like that. Mm-hmm. So there are crit- criteria that mm-hmm. will help determine. But again, that's where you get your health professional involved. Yes. So what are you telling your clients who've gained weight and perhaps have disordered eating mm-hmm. and now they're back? Face mask to face mask with you, Jameson. So what are you telling your clients? So it's basically getting them back to like having them control their behaviors as opposed to food controlling them. Whoa. So if there's a piece of cake in front of me, instead of me going, I have that cake is making me eat it. I have to me control my behaviors. Totally. How do you do that? Where do you start? Well, so it's getting a better relationship with food in general, right? So we tend to, with media, diet culture, social, I mean, everything out there, right? It's so easy for us to say, this food is good. This food is bad. You know, we can't grab a hold of this or that. So mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to be naughty and eat some cake. Totally. I'm going to be bad and eat some cake. Totally. Oh. So right away, we wire that in our head. So when we start to feel like I was talking about earlier, like these negative emotions, and then we think, okay, well, I'm just going to eat all this food that's quote unquote bad because I just want to numb out or not feel my emotion. Mm-hmm. Then we tend to grab towards that cake and then we just eat the whole cake instead of understanding that like it's okay I can have cake every day a couple bites because it tastes good instead of no I can only have cake when I feel x y and z Mm -hmm. 
And instead of it being, I must eat something that's bad to make myself feel good, I'm kind of being a rebel. I'm just going to go out of the lines and off the rails and just do this. Mm-hmm. Because there is a certain attitude we have when we eat, like, I'm just going to, um, screw it. I'm yeah. just going to have some cake. I'm yeah. just going to have such. And it's kind of a defeatist mm-hmm. attitude rather than this tastes good. I shall have a couple of bites. Yeah. And you see in that situation, the cake is totally taking control of you as opposed to you taking control of the situation. I mean, think about it like food. Our bodies are meant to eat and move, period. End of story. Right. But we're not meant to hyper-focus on those things, right? So, like, an Olympic athlete is going to move a little different than, like, I'm going to move, right? And an Olympic athlete is also going to eat a little different than I'm going to eat. But we're not meant to hyper-focus on certain foods and that aspect. It's just how it is. So Mm -hmm. the idea of when I'm working with clients of, like, recovery and going through recovery is that, yeah, we're meant to eat, but and we're meant to have a good, you know, positive relationship or just a relationship in general with food. But we're not meant to just like overly focus on food, which is what diet culture, the cake example is uh, kind of giving us. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. When you're dealing with a diet, you are super focused on what food you're going to eat and what foods you can't eat. Mm-hmm. And you're worried about meal prep. Mm-hmm. and worried about, okay, now what am I going to eat at lunch because I know my coworkers are going to have a birthday lunch, so what am I going to eat? Food, food, food. What I, what can I not eat that they're going to be eating at that birthday lunch? Mm-hmm. Food, 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 food. So it becomes super important in your life yeah. rather than, oh, hey, I'm hungry. I need to eat some food to sustain myself. Right. And food's food, right? Like, I mean, you look at it, the best example, and I love this, especially now that I have littles at home, but, and I've been practicing for like six plus years. So it's something where I've always, it's there in the research, but until having littles at home to kind of look at, I'm like, okay, this makes total sense. Not that I've never debunked the the research, but we as humans innately are born with hunger and fullness cues. We know exactly when we're hungry and we know exactly when we're full. Same reason why a baby cries, right? When they're hungry. Um, And some, you know, sometimes they'll take the whole bottle. Sometimes they take half the bottle. I have a two and a half year old at home. Some weeks she eats five plates of her meals. Some weeks she has two bites. And it's a matter of she knows exactly when she's hungry or full. So the idea when I'm working with clients is to get back to that. Because as we get older, between family dynamics, diet culture, social media, society, I mean, environment, anything like that, we tend to strip away and ignore those hunger and fullness cues. So it's an idea of how to get back to that to understand, like, again, coming back to your example of, like, I'm eating with coworkers, I'm hungry, I just want some food, food's food, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry, I'm going to eat when I'm full, period, end of story. Instead of feeling like you have to control the situation of, I can only have this food and I can only eat this much, even though I'm still hungry afterwards, I'm going to stop. Those kind of things. Oh, okay. And so you see it in your children. Yes. Now that you let them, let their bodies control what their amount of do. food that they want and what their bodies do. Mm-hmm. So you said our bodies are designed to eat food and move. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, fair. Yes. I mean, those are like the, the main things, right? So when you look at it, like you don't want to control. We just get in as humans. We want to control everything, right? Yes. That's just a human nature. Our happiness tends to be based on how much control we feel we have over our lives. Yeah, totally. Okay. So we're trying to control it. Yeah. So in that sense of control, the best way to control it, quote unquote, is to essentially just be able to, to understand what your body needs. Getting back to that relationship piece of controlling it of understanding what does hunger feel like to me what does fullness feel like to me and how can I just eat food because food is food and food tastes good and it brings back the enjoyment piece as opposed to pushing all that away 
Ah, uh, because even if you're eating something that's, quote, comfort food, if you have this guilt and mm-hmm. this negative feeling about it and this buyer's remorse kind of that you're going to have after you eat that food, mm-hmm. you've taken the enjoyment out because your mindset is not right. Totally. And it's okay to label a food as comfort food, right? But it's looking at it in the sense of does comfort for you equal good food or does comfort for you equal bad food? Probably bad food. Right. So then it's removing that label to understand, okay, it's comforting because it's good. Right. Instead of looking at it as, okay, that's comfort food. So I can only have that when I'm here or there Mm -hmm. or I feel sad or whatever. Right, right, right. How do we pay better attention to when our bodies need to move? Because I don't know. I think there's some people who don't ever feel that urge. No, that's fair. And some people, I mean, movement looks like just getting up and down, out of, you know, going up and down stairs during yeah. the day, right? So everyone's body is different when it comes to movement. The idea is to bring that enjoyment piece back to it. How? With movement specifically is finding the joy piece, right? So like some people like to go just like rollerblading, right? It brings them back to their childhood and it's really enjoyable to them and it just feels good. Do you seriously know anybody who likes to rollerblade? I actually I actually had a client the other day that came in that was like, this is how I like to move. And I was like, done. You do you, girl. Like, <laughs> so I literally brought that up because I just had a client this past week that said that. But See, I always feel that nutritionists are like, if so, if you love to run and the rest of us like, no, yeah, no, no. I don't no. know a lot of people. Some people do. Totally. But yeah, for the rest of us, how do we get that enjoyment back? Maybe we don't even know what we like to do to move. Yeah. Exactly. It's all chores. It's all like, I'm going to get a treadmill mm-hmm. and I'm going to run on this treadmill and it's odious to me, but I swear I'm going to do it. And we never do. Right. Because we hate it. Yeah. So it's finding the enjoyment piece from that. I mean, a personal example is I used to be a really big runner and then having kids and everything like I just can't run as good as I as mm-hmm. I can. But it's therapy for me to just to be out in nature mm-hmm. and to be able to enjoy that aspect. So instead of running, because I'm not as quote unquote good at running as I was back then. So it was, became really frustrating. I just enjoy walks. Right. So just being able to get out. And that's the piece that I enjoy. It's not the actual walking. It's the being outside. Does that make OK. Sense? And you have to walk to be outside. Totally. So you find what you really like, the the joy part of it. Yes. Rather than, well, I must run. Yeah. And that's looking for the part that you hate. Mm-hmm. Let me add something that I hate into my already busy, crazy, hectic <laughs> lifestyle. Because you think you have to do it because of diet culture and media and all the things. It's not going to work. No. Let me add something that I love to my life. Yes. I could do that. And I love nature, too. Mm-hmm. So... Being out at Radnor Lake mm-hmm. or something, I love that. Yeah, and I would do that way, way more often than I shall get on this treadmill and fair. and on this exercise bike fair. or whatever. <laughs> fair, totally. I fair. like that. So Jameson Worley is talking about really changing your mindset mm-hmm. about food and about activity because that's what our bodies are for—is to eat and to move, mm-hmm. and that's when we find our best health. Mm-hmm. First of all, our head is right about both of those. Mm-hmm. Where do you tell your clients to start if they've gotten into the good foods that I like or bad and I can't think of what I want to do to move? Where do you start? Do you give them some specific exercises or some specific sayings or some thoughts to kind of help them get their flip their mind to a a place where they eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're not Mm -hmm. and they find a way to get out and move and make it an enjoyable, joyous thing in their lives. Yeah. I mean, every client is different, but I start back from just 
from like I was telling you earlier with like littles, right? Like my little kid, girls at home. But one of the questions I always talk to my clients about is what is your first food related memory? Like the first thing that comes to your mind, right? And a lot of people, it's a really quick thought. A lot of people have to think for a second. A lot of people, it's a very positive experience. A lot of people, it's a negative experience. Mm-hmm. But it gives me so much insight into what's going on with their relationship with food. Right? Okay, can I tell you mine? And then you <laughs> yes. you can, oh, oh boy, Jameson <laughs> Worley is going to be my nutritionist right now and help diagnose me. Um, so a couple of my very first memories had to do with my grandmother. When we would go to visit her, she would say, I saved some bacon from this morning and mm-hmm. I have bacon and it's on a little plate on the stove. So she'd have it on a little paper towels and I would go eat that bacon And I don't even remember this part, but I was always told that my grandmother would let me pick up a stick of butter Mm -hmm. off the table and just eat it, Mm -hmm. eat part of it when I was little bitty. So with grandma, who loved me and who I adored, it was being allowed to eat bacon and butter, being treated and shown the love with that. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, is that a positive experience or a negative experience? Positive. Why is it positive? Because she loved me and it made me happy, mm-hmm. made me feel good, uh, f- made me feel loved when she would save me bacon. And I love bacon. So with bacon these days, do you, do you allow yourself to eat bacon? Yes. I love bacon. Done. Then that, that's that positive relationship piece, right? Your memory of your grandmother is such an amazing memory for you that there's that joy piece in it. So mm-hmm. every time you see bacon, you probably a little bit of you inside is like this little girl with grandmother. Yay! Yeah, exactly. Which is another reason that you probably love bacon. Yes. I don't eat it a lot, though, because I feel guilty. But why do you feel guilty? Because it's fattening and it's got, it's cured and it's got nitrites or something like that in it. I don't know what because it is. Of, because of diet culture, right? Social media, like all these people posting things like bacon equals bad, you know, because yeah. of X, Y, and Z and all the things you just listed. But for you, you love bacon. It brings back good memories. So it's one of those things where that relationship piece is depending on the client or, you know, the situation of you. If you were to be like, I don't ever eat bacon, but I have such good memories of bacon, then I would challenge you for that week to try some bacon. Eat a little bacon. See what happens. But not all day and not like a pound at a time. Right. Because, I mean, if we're eating a pound at a time, then we don't have a very good relationship with that food. Right. (laughs) And of course, it's good. Right. And every day, you know, our scenario is going to be different. So, I mean, if you want to eat a pound of bacon just because you want to eat a pound of bacon, it's really good. And you're still respecting your hunger and fullness. You know, there's so much to it. (laughs) But again, it goes back to that positive memory piece. Like bacon for you is very positive. Okay, so I could have a little bacon. Totally. And enjoy it. And be thankful for that, Mm -hmm. but then stop eating when I get full. Yeah. And understand that no matter what, you can always have bacon and it will always be there. Because some people go in the mindset of, I'm going to have a pound of bacon because I can't have it again, you know, in so long. Yes. So they eat as much as they possibly can. Oh, I love, wait, you said, and that it will always be there. Mm -hmm. You're right. And I think about all that. Because I am, quote, I'm splurging. Yes. Now, so I'll eat this whole big fat piece of cake. Because I won't be able to have it again for a long time because mm-hmm. I splurged then. But if it's available to me any day, I want it. Totally. You can have it. I probably would need a big old fat piece of it. Mm-hmm. And knowing that every time you had it, say you have bacon every day, excuse me, it's one of those things where you are now putting that joy, that emotion, that really positive emotion with your grandmother and being a little girl and all those things with while we're consuming that bacon. And now you're spreading it out instead of having it all at once in mm-hmm. one little fleeting moment. And feeling guilty about it. Totally. Whoa. Jameson, that's good stuff. No wonder you're so successful and so popular. You're so sweet. I'm glad that you found time to come talk to us because I think a lot of people have food issues 
and mental issues, yeah. the, the, our thought processes are kind of backwards because of, as you said, social media mm-hmm. and, you know, posts and news stories and things. I think we have issues with it that are just messing us up. Totally. And like I said, it's always getting back to that relationship piece and just making sure that no matter what, we always have, whether it just be a relationship in general or a positive relationship with food. You've gotten people kind of started mm-hmm. by asking about their very first memory of food. Mm-hmm. And now we've worked through my bacon issues <laughs> and I will have bacon more often, but not yeah. a lot of it. <laughs> and so what about the movement p- part of it? So the movement is the same piece. It's, it's finding the joy piece of it. Right. And it go, kind of goes back with food. Like the joy piece can be from a memory, right, with the bacon and it can be specific foods like bacon brings me joy because my grandmother and mm-hmm. because it tastes good. Right. But we can also like have a good experience just from like our social setting. Right. So say that with the food piece and even the movement piece, if we're with other people, then that's going to bring that enjoyment piece to it, too. Right. So like going on a walk, maybe that's not your favorite thing in the world. But if you're going with like your two best girlfriends and you're just catching up with them and it's a good time and it's at Radnor Park because we love Radnor, you Mm -hmm. know, then it's something where that's a positive experience that's going to help with the the movement piece. So we used to go to restaurants. That was mm-hmm. our our little old lady thing. Uh, we would go celebrate each other's birthdays at restaurants. So we had food associated with it and with getting together and with bringing each other presents and with dressing up and decorating the table and things like that. So how would I translate that to what make just find another venue possibly no that and and no that would work like that's something where if that to you is a very joyful time Mm -hmm. right so you're getting together and you're bringing back that enjoyment piece around food so it doesn't matter where it is or what it is you know that you guys are doing but if you're bringing joy to it and again adding that enjoyment piece that's developing a positive relationship so with you getting together with all of your girlfriends you know and celebrating everyone's birthday and it's around food that's a perfect example of having a positive relationship or just a relationship in general with food. Does that make sense? But how will I work in that the activity? How will I get my body to move more? Is that where I go, well, I'm going to park the car a little farther away, that kind of thing? Or oh, yeah, then that could be it. Or, yeah, maybe like for someone's birthday, you know, the next time around, you guys all go to the park, you know, and mm-hmm. be able to, to enjoy like a, a walk out in the park or do a picnic, you know, so that you can kind of enjoy the picnic and be outside and like move a little bit, whatever that looks like from the movement piece. Because mm-hmm. I know I, one of our girlfriends would say, well, we should go shopping after lunch done you're walking around that's what we should have done yeah that was like the one thing I did when after we had our first I my mom got me out of the house to walk at the mall she was like let's go walk at the mall before it opens and I was like only old people do that but it was so fun (laughs) (laughs) so I was like this is I mean that's that's a perfect example of like at first I'm like no I'm not going to walk at the mall but it was we took our our stroller with our you know my little girl in there and it was so fun because it was my mom it was an awesome setting nothing was open it was indoors because it was winter and I loved it and I kept that up for a while I see I love my little old lady friends they come up with great ideas and sometimes I don't listen so I need to now we're going shopping girls yes (laughs) And we're have gonna, permission. <laughs> we're going to move fast. We're going to work off that birthday cake. Yes. <laughs> Are there some biggest mistakes or biggest misconceptions that we have when we're trying to eat healthier and make our bodies healthier and and eat better? Are there some misconceptions that you're like, okay, you got to get that out of your head? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it goes back to kind of what we were talking about is the, the labeling of foods, right? The good foods, the bad foods, especially like proteins, great or proteins, bad carbs are great. Carbs are bad. You know, there's so much misinformation out there that people hold on to. So they feel like they have to restrict these certain nutrients or things from their diet 
when really it's just one, developing a better relationship with it. Yeah. And two, we need all of those in our diet. Like there's a reason that all of those exist, you know, that our body personally needs each and every one of those nutrients. So we can't necessarily, the one thing I always say is let's try not to control it. Let's just kind of give in and let our body kind of decide what it, what it needs. I heard it called recently because my significant other is apparently gluten sensitive. Mm-hmm. And so his uh, doctor said, try more intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand what that was at first. I thought I did. So we looked it up and apparently has to do with the fact that because he's very clock oriented, he's like, well, it's about lunchtime. What are we going to eat? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm not even hungry yet. And, and he'll say, you know, I guess I'm not either. But if we eat too late, then we'll be eating dinner late and then we'd we'll be trying to go to bed right after. So we're we're working on the clock a lot. Yeah. But the intuitive eating thing is like you say, am I hungry? Mm-hmm. And what do I want? What do I need? Because food is food. Right. What do I need to, you know, to eat until I don't feel hungry anymore? Right. Totally. I mean, it, it comes back to listening to your body, which high is the hardest thing for us to do because we you have so much, so much distraction, right, mm-hmm. in our life these days. So, so we schedule so many things. We do. We have to to succeed in this world, but we don't always have to schedule our meals. Right. And the amount of clients that I have that I'm like, that walk in my office, I'm like, I don't have time. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to move. I don't have time to do any of this. And it's like, well, hold on. It goes back to the self-care, right? Like at the end of the day, we have to help ourselves before we can help anyone else, mm-hmm. period, end of story. But it's really hard for us because in our society, it's like boom, 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 right? I got to get it all in, yeah. work these certain times. And so it, it's hard for us to be able to kind of find that fine balance and what that looks like. So for yeah. those clients, yeah, I focus a lot on the intuitive piece. It's, you know, intuitive eating, mindful eating. It's just getting back to your body and listening to your body when it's hungry or when it's full. And mindful eating is... Getting back to your body, essentially. So it's paying attention, paying attention. It's being mindful. It's the same thing from that intuitive piece. So it's just paying attention to what your body has to say and what your body wants. There's a philosopher who I follow and he's got some books out called things like mindful eating. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he says is as you take a bite of food, take a bite of that food and enjoy it Mm -hmm. and think about the hands that prepared that food Mm -hmm. and how it grew on this earth. Mm-hmm. and all the things involved in the making of that food and enjoy it on every level rather than gulping it down and stuffing another bite in before you've even fully chewed the first one and watching a video on your phone mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Yeah. So mindful eating makes a really big difference. Yeah. And I always, I love that example. I always also tell clients like, they're, they're called grounding techniques, right? So like when you're sitting at the table, like this is what I work with a lot of clients on because I have a lot that eat fast or they have a negative relationship with food or they don't like broccoli, but they have no idea why, right? So it's being able to ground yourself around that eating experience. So that can be as simple as, you know, just putting both of your feet on the ground when you eat, um, putting both of your hands on the table. What? It's, it's making you more present, like you said, so that we don't just sit and get on our phone, you know, or talk away and we have no idea what's going on. And before we know it, we've eaten our food and we're like, what? What did that taste like? What What did I just eat? Right. right. And we've gulped down a lot of it. Totally. And uh, so, uh, you know, with that grounding techniques, the other thing I like to use is using our five senses. Right. So when you sit down at a meal, observe it, look at it. You know, what does it look like? What does it sound like when if you, you know, if you bite into it or when you're cooking it? You know, what does it smell like, taste like all these different things so that you can be able to focus on that and have that positive experience 
with the food or negative experience, right? I have a lot of people who come in who avoid a lot of food or are really picky eaters. And so I have them purposely go through their five senses so they can start to see are there certain senses, you know, like for instance, I don't like the way it looks, right? Oh, right. But they love the way it tastes and everything. So it's preparing it different, you know, to be able to kind of focus on that piece too. I think that a lot of people are running around, like you said, too busy for this, too busy for that. I think there are people who are standing over the counter, over the sink, Mm -hmm. in the refrigerator, eating, Mm -hmm. and not really paying attention to what they're putting in their bodies. Yeah. And sometimes we have to do that, right? Like, I mean, again, we've got two littles at home, and so my husband all the time is, like, eating on the go, (laughs) you know? But it's like that we're also just in survival mode right now, you know? But it's still, like, finding that balance of, like, it's not an everyday thing. So, Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So if we do it sometimes, don't beat ourselves up about it. Totally. Just next time, put both feet on the ground. Yeah. Put both hands on the table. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to your senses and what you're eating and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So you can enjoy it. What is your takeaway thought from today that you want people to remember? My main thing is just try to give up that control piece. I, if I could say anything to all my clients is I want you to fall in love with food again, but not from a place that we're thinking about it too much, just that we have a relationship with it or even a pot. It doesn't have to be necessarily positive, but it's just a relationship. Like so many people come to my office and they have a negative relationship with food. Uh. And it's just that if we can just, you know, understand the fact that food's there just because it's food, right? And it's not that we're supposed to hyper-focus on it or try to control it. And that we can just like enjoy whatever we want because we have positive memories from it. Bacon's a great example, you know, or even in the cake that we talked about today. And just be able to like let yourself loose and have it and stay away from that guilt piece that diet culture and media and society is trying to instill in us. Yes. Stay away from the guilt. Get a better relationship. Yeah. Okay. We'll work on it. We'll have a little follow up checkup, Jameson. Perfect. (laughs) Let's do it. Our guest today, Jameson Worley, are a nutritionist and nutrition expert. Thank you very much for joining us. And if people want to get in touch with you and talk to you personally about food, how do they do that? Um, so they can find me on my website, uh, jamesonworleyrdn.com. jamesonworleyrdn.com. Yes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll put that link as well as more information on our Focus Facebook page. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus. Focus.